from Pod News. Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's Thursday, the 27th of October, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of Pod News. And I'm Sam Sethi, the host of my new podcast coming soon in November called Off the Mic. Hi there, my name's Dylan Pugh. I'm the managing director of the Sports Podcast Group, and I'll be talking later about the Sports Podcast Awards. He will. Podland is sponsored and hosted by Buzzsprout. Last week, 3,644 people started a podcast with Buzzsprout. Now there's Buzzsprout ads to grow your podcast wherever it's hosted. And we're sponsored by Squadcast. We use the latest Squadcast version 5 to remotely record this episode with James in Australia and myself here in the UK. And a special thanks to uh, Squadcast. It's our last week with Squadcast this week. We appreciate their help and support over the last six months or so. Podland is our weekly review where Sam and I review the week's top stories in Pod News. Welcome to episode 99, Sam. Episode 99. <laughs> Oh, you were young when we first met. Yes. What are we? What are we going to do for episode one hundred? I think we should blow the whole thing up and start again. Done. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Well, let's talk a little bit about Spotify's earnings. They've reported their Q3 2022 earnings. It has 465 million monthly active users, which was up 20% year on year, which sounds very good. Ad revenue led by podcasting is also up by 19%. Um, And uh, yeah, it looks very healthy, James. Come on, give me a little bit of background. Are they doing well then with podcasting? It does look very healthy, doesn't it? Um, I, I'm kind of more interested at the moment in quarter-on-quarter numbers, and their ad revenue has even grown quarter-on-quarter as well, 7% quarter-on-quarter, which given that we're supposed to be going into a recession at the moment, is quite impressive, one would think. I found it interesting, I just did a calculation to work out how much ad revenue Spotify is making, which of course is essentially driving the podcasting. Since nobody becomes a Spotify premium user just for the podcasts, uh, I was keen to work out, okay, well, what does that mean in terms of ad revenue for the company in total? And 12.8% of the company's total revenue is from ad revenue, which is uh, interesting. So uh, yeah, it seems to be doing uh, pretty well on that front, but it's still relatively small in comparison to the fourteen ninety nine or whatever it is that we all pay for Spotify every single month. Now, Dave Jones was, uh, has sent us a boostergram to say, the amount of money being lost on a quarterly basis by Spotify is staggering. It's predicted they will lose 300 million euros in Q4. But, you know... Uh, that's the way they've they've got tons of money in the bank and they're still trying to get to growth, really. Yeah, they are. I mean, they seem to be making profit in one way, depending on how you look at it. But um, at, uh, at the end of it, you know, yes, they made um, a loss of 228 million euro in the quarter, which uh, for you in the UK is uh, 228 million pounds, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, no, we're, no, we're doing better now. Now we're are doing you? better now. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. Spotify are talking about raising their prices too. Apple, of course, has raised their prices and that apparently gives Spotify permission to raise theirs too. And uh, potentially, I, I guess, uh, YouTube Music and um, all of the other ones will be raising their uh, prices too. So that's uh, a little bit uh, sad. But um, yeah, I mean, Dave uh, says, I don't understand what accounting magic allows that to continue unabated for years. Perhaps they're still playing the long game. Uh, Who knows? I I, I thought that, you know, investors weren't too interested in the long game at the moment, Sam. They're not. But I think I think if they can show investors that their ad revenue and podcasting is growing, which is what they are by 20 percent, roughly quarter on quarter, then making losses short term isn't going to still be a problem for the market. 
it eventually will. They'll run out of money in the bank. I mean, you know, I'm sure they've got mm. plenty of it, but they will turn a corner. They've got the advantage. I mean, at the moment, they've got a closed wall garden and uh, it seems to be working for them. Yeah, it does. I think what we didn't see in the results, because these are only quarterly results, they're not uh, yearly results. We didn't see much around consumption. Uh, in terms of podcasts from uh, Spotify. Um, but we have seen a bunch of uh, other consumption uh, data um, over the last week or so as well, haven't we? Yes, we have, James. Uh, the BBC, you know, for comparison, um, announced their numbers this week as well. They post a weekly average of 4.3 million users. But this is the bit that is actually quite scary for the BBC. That represents no growth from the previous quarter. Yeah, they're completely flat. Um, I, I always think the BBC does itself a little bit of a disservice because it quotes weekly averages because, you know, that's what broadcast media has always done, whereas um, other companies will quote monthly averages. But even so, 4.3 million weekly uh, users is not the biggest number. And the fact that it hasn't grown is a concern. They have also posted a ton of other numbers, 178 million plays of on-demand radio and podcasts in the quarter. That's also flat. 392 million plays of audio overall, which includes live radio. That's also flat. And the worst one, their podcasts on third-party platforms. So that's things like Apple Podcasts and indeed Spotify and various other places. Uh, they've achieved 256 million downloads in the quarter, which is a decline of 3.1% quarter on quarter. So however you look at these figures, they are not good news for the BBC. And I kind of wonder what they're doing, basically. I don't think I've watched... BBC TV or listen to BBC radio in, well, I don't know, months, I feel. Um, I tend to go to the streaming services or I tend to listen to podcasts. So I'm not mm. sure that they're producing output that matches the demand of people currently. And they're also bleeding, as we've been saying for many months, talent. I mean, it's, it's, it's leaking rapidly out. So I don't know what's going on at the BBC. You're an ex-BBC well, man. You must know. Come on. I am an ex-BBC man. Uh, I turned the BBC on in the middle of Liz Truss's resignation speech last week. And turned it off straight away after. <laughs> well, I mean, it was only 89 seconds, so it was <laughs> difficult. To, I mean, what are the odds of turning it on just randomly in the middle of her re resignation speech? But uh, yes, there we go. So, um, I mean, they're, they're producing some good content, but um, yeah, but clearly not producing producing quite enough content. And if you think that it's a problem with broadcasters and a problem with legacy broadcasters and blah, 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 then take a look down here because uh, here in Australia, the ABC's annual report was published and they are saying they're seeing 33 million downloads per month for their podcasts. That figure is up 22% year on year. News shows getting the highest increase, 50% or so. Uh, the ABC News Daily um, achieving 46% higher downloads than what came before it, which was a podcast called The Signal. Um, and I can't help but think that that's one of the benefits of, you know, calling a podcast what it says on the tin. Um, the ABC News Daily, that might be a news podcast from the ABC and it might be daily, whereas The Signal, who knows what that's about? Um, oh. So perhaps that's that. So, yeah, they appear to be doing fantastically well. And I think, you know, the, the big thing here in Australia is we have a thing called the Australian Podcast Ranker, as many countries do. Number one in the Australian Podcast Ranker is ARN's iHeart Podcast Network Australia, the number one 
one for podcasts. They got 18 million downloads in September. The ABC say that they are doing 33 million downloads per month. So the ABC is actually doing uh, almost twice as much as the number one in the ranker, which just goes to show that uh, all of these rankers are incomplete rankers. And we should probably never forget that. What can these guys do, the BBC? Can they really start to challenge the commercial entities like Global and iHeart and others? Or or is it going to be a decline, naturally? Yeah, I mean, I look at what the BBC is doing. They are hamstrung by some of the uh, rules and regulations that go around what the BBC is allowed to do and what it isn't allowed to do. And a lot of their podcasts have to still be on the radio. Um, You used to, uh, back when Chris Moyles was on the radio, you used to bizarrely wake up at about three o'clock one morning and hear the best of Chris Moyles from the last week getting played out on Radio One, literally just so that it could be turned into a podcast because it was a separate show. So um, there are some weird things that the BBC end up doing. But I think at the end of the day, they're they're just not nimble. They're not a commercial organisation. They're not nimble in understanding what audiences want. And I think, you know, my two years in that organisation were really driven by a horrifying realisation that they don't actually care what the audience wants. The thing that the BBC and people at the BBC care about most is the long-term survival of the BBC. And uh, if that's done by pleasing audiences, then great. If that's not done by pleasing audiences, then that's also great. Because the overwhelming thing is, will the BBC still exist in 15, 20 years' time? Uh, And will we still get all of our lovely money from the UK government or via the UK government from a TV licence fee? So... um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, it worries me, I think, just sort of seeing some of the content coming out of the BBC. Undoubtedly, some of it is very good, but, um, you know, it's certainly not as commercially appealing as uh, some of the other content that we're, that we're seeing elsewhere. Yeah, well, they just hit their, what, 100-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago? They did, yes, 100 years old, uh, I think, uh, last week. And similarly, um, uh, the ABC has hit 90 years old uh, here here in Australia. So both of us have coins out. You can get a BBC-branded coin, a 50p piece, or if you like it better that way, a 50-cent piece. Um, I can't, I can't resist. Um, and the ABC have, um, the ABC have put out, or rather the Australian Royal Mint have put out a, uh, 20 cent coin with, uh, the ABC brand on it and various things. So it's all very exciting for public service wonks. Um, but, uh, still not, none of that going on in, uh, Italy though, which has also released a, a bunch of, uh, data as well, haven't they? Yeah, the results of the Ipsos Digital Audio Survey uh, announced 36% of Italian adults, that's 16 to 60, listen to podcasts. That's not bad. And it's up from 31%. So good to see a, I suppose, a trend in the upward direction. Yeah, it's um, good to see that. Um, A caution on these figures that they're not the same figures that you might see from Edison Research's Infinite Dial. Um, They are only 16 to 60-year-olds, so they don't look at people over 16. You would guess that that would bring the figures down if they were to have a look at those as well. Um, But there's a ton of data coming out of uh, Italy. Uh, Next week, a ton of data coming out of uh, New Zealand as well with the Edison Research Infinite Dial. And indeed, I've also got some data from 
from a recent IAB survey that they have also done there. So I'm looking forward to reporting on that next week. Now, James, there's more data that you wanted to uh, look at. In the US, Podcast One closed an 8.1 million funding round. Well done. Congratulations to them. And yeah, we will be having an interview with Podcast One next week. The Jordan Harbinger Show has had an increase of 25% in download that boy seems to be uh, rocketing through his numbers what else is going on james yeah he seems to be doing very well and the dr gundry podcast whatever that is has shown exactly. a 30 percent uptick in <laughs> listeners what is interesting going through this um long and very exciting press release from podcast one is that um they are grabbing some really interesting numbers but all of the numbers are slightly different. So Jordan Harbinger up for downloads. Dr. Gundry, 30% uptick in listeners, not in downloads. You then have a look at some of the other numbers that they have. Our Fake History has uh, experienced a 25% increase in audience size. Uh, Namaste Bitches from Real Housewives of New Jersey star Teresa somebody and Melissa somebody debuted in the top 100 on Apple's top podcast chart. That's got into the press release. So it's interesting seeing, you know, just a bunch of hopefully impressive looking numbers that they have pulled out of that. One of their numbers uh, is all around their YouTube channel. 45% increase in views, 106% increase in subscribers uh, in just one quarter. Total growth at 128% near the start of the calendar year. Um, And Instagram is doing um, great guns for them. Well, seemingly great guns up 13.7% on engagement over the last 90 days, whatever that means. So, you know, clearly Podcast One have been um, delving deep into their uh, list of stats to find some good news. And that's probably because Live One are, um, you, you know, they're spinning out Podcast One. So it's their wish to spin out Podcast One and um, to have a look at um, all kinds of uh, independence for the Podcast One uh, business. And next week, uh, we're talking to Head of Marketing and Audience Development, Ilana Susnow from Podcast One, and uh, perhaps she will know exactly some of the things that they have been doing to get their numbers up so high. So it should be interesting on this very podcast, episode number 100 next week, assuming that we, you know, do another Podland, Sam. Indeed. And I think I'm going to ask you, did you get a thesaurus for Christmas? That's, that's the other question I'll ask her. <laughs> that, may, that may be it. That may be it. But they're clearly doing an awful lot right. And I know that Jordan Harbinger really thinks about all of this stuff. So lots of data in the news this week. Right. Now, let's get out of the data and get into some other stuff. Uh, let's take a closer look at, again at Spotify. Uh, Spotify has added podcasts to its app in South Korea. Well, so they're growing. Um, but the company's had... Uh, a big complaint with Apple. They're having a bit of beef there. Uh, they're being forced, according to Spotify, uh, to consider a suboptimal purchase flow for audiobooks. Fundamentally, from what I can read, James, is uh, they don't want to pay the 30% Apple tax. So they're having to do the bounce out of Spotify, get your payment and bounce back into Spotify. Yeah, they've been rejected a number of times, haven't they, from the Apple App Store. And uh, it's not the first time, of course, that Spotify has been rejected. Rejected from the App Store. Apple's view is we spend an awful lot of money on keeping this App Store good and safe and everything else. And we would like 30% of everything that you sell just like any other retailer would. And uh, Spotify is uh, slightly less 
than happy about that. And they are already, you know, um, posting all kinds of weird and exciting blogs about uh, what they call Apple's anti-competitive behavior. Do you think there's anything in that, uh, Sam? No, look, the, the, the rules of engagement are Apple have made that very clear. If you want to play in our playground, this is the rule. Um, and Spotify could increase. Now, I think we reported a couple of weeks ago that there were rumors of a 1999 third tier payment system, which would mean that audiobooks could be included within that tier. But they seem to have gone down. I think we were saying the pay-as-you-want model rather than the Audible model, eat all you can for a credit. So if if it's within Spotify's uh, remit, they could just simply create a, a version of their subscription that included audiobooks, the same as Podimo do. And they're trying to have their cake and eat it. They're trying to say to, to Apple, we want this, uh, but we don't want to pay your um, playground tax. Yeah, I mean, Spotify say that uh, Apple is confusing because Apple changes the rules arbitrarily, making these rules impossible to interpret. Um, and uh, and they say, you know, we're forced to make users work even harder to listen to an audiobook and think of the authors and the publishers. Um, oh. And uh, I think that there's I think there's something to be said for that, but not an awful lot to be said uh, for that. But Spotify is jumping up and down and saying, you know, there's the absence of government intervention and Apple has shown time and time again that it will not self-regulate and blah, blah, blah. But I think um, probably come down on your side, to be honest. Um, You know, as it is, if you want to buy a book, for example, in your Amazon Kindle app, then you have to go to the Amazon website separately buy it, and then it gets delivered into the Amazon Kindle app. Um, That's Amazon's way of getting around the 30% tax, and uh, presumably that's what Spotify is going to have to be doing here. Mm. Now, uh, Todd uh, put out a tweet, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, He said, not that Spotify isn't trying to lock things down in emerging markets when it comes to podcasting. So he was basically taking the uh, view that, you know, you want it open in one market, but you're closing it down, Spotify, in other markets. Yes. And I think he's also um, talking about uh, the way that Spotify was uh, certainly talking um, in uh, the event that we were at last week where, you know, Spotify was there very, very gung ho talking about, um, you know, podcasting and uh, in the Middle East and talking about, you know, the large amount of people who are using their service. And again, pointing out the fact that, um, you know, Android phones do very well in some parts of the Middle East, not all, but some parts of the the Middle East. Um, And of course, uh, there is no Apple podcasts for Android. I mean, they will be doing a Android app at some point because they're not stupid. Um, But uh, (laughs) before you're broke, James. (laughs) Yes, yes. Please do it this year. Um, But uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, who knows, we should get somebody from Apple on at some point. That would be uh, that that would be fun, like they're going to do that. Um, But anyway, they are, though, um, promoting audiobooks by musicians uh, in the app. A friend of the show, Chris Messina, has uh, spotted that when you listen to the Foo Fighters, if you ever were going to listen to the Foo Fighters, then you would find on the top of of the Foo Fighters artist page, a little link uh, saying, uh, oh, here's an audiobook that you might be interested in too, and linking through to Dave Grohl's book. Um, so, you know, they're doing some clever 
cross promotion there, which presumably they'll also be doing some clever cross promotion um, on podcasting uh, as well in that way. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, Spotify using their heft to do some nice cross promotion within their app. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart way of doing it and uh, it's unintrusive as well. Because while you're listening, you're looking at your phone, maybe, oh, what else can I do? Oh, let me click through. Now, have you heard of uh, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Parenting Hell podcast? It's supposed to be very big in your country. It is indeed. And it's my daughter's favourite podcast. And um, I have listened to it. Um, I did have a shocker when she first told me that she was listening to Parenting Hell as a 22-year-old. I did say, is there anything you need to tell me? Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> There's a worry. But outside of that, yeah, it was like, whoa, easy tiger, too soon to be a granddad. Um, <laughs> but um, no, her and her boyfriend prefer to listen to that show because it is it is good comedy as well. And uh, they're going to the live event, which sold out very quickly in 2023. So, yeah, it's probably number three or four in the Apple charts. Um, so it is a good show. And um, I, I only uh, bring it up because that show is moving to Spotify as an exclusive from next month, uh, which uh, was interesting to see uh, the comments. Uh, so Rob Beckett, who tweeted a announcement that uh, they would be on Spotify, you know, the same show, just available on uh, on a different platform or on, you know, on only that platform. Uh, still completely free, twice a week as usual. You've just got to switch over to the Spotify app. And all of the comments are, wow, gosh, uh, really not very positive. You know, uh, um, Honk Honk replying, oh, no. Chris B saying, nice one. Get that money, mate. Uh, Stephen McWinney saying, wow, I really enjoyed the podcast, but I guess not anymore. Um, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, what a shame. And Steve Marshall writes, all right, you pair of Joe Rogans. Oh, <laughs> hard burn. Um, it's part of Keep It Light Media's uh, move to the Spotify audience network and to Megaphone. They also look after Alan Carr's Life's a Beach, Wolf and Owl and uh, plenty more UK comedy podcasts. They're very excited about moving to Megaphone and joining the Spotify audience network. What I thought was interesting is that the press release of that announcement, Keep It Light Media moving to Megaphone, didn't mention at all the fact that Parenting Hell would become a Spotify exclusive, which I thought was uh, interesting. Anyway, they've moved over from Global's DAX. I wonder how long they're going to stay within that walled garden. I suspect it won't be long. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see whether Beckett and Widdicombe make any, um, you know, comment about uh, what happens to their audience figures. But there again, I'm, I'm sure that they will earn plenty of money. They won't. Of they it. won't. <laughs> they'll, they'll be going, yes, that was, that was a nice million we made there very quickly or whatever they made. Indeed. Um, Spotify mm. in Africa seems to be doing uh, well as well. They've been helping 13 podcasts with some funding. Um, anything that you know about this, James? Yeah, it's the second amount of funding that Spotify has been doing in the, the region. They had um, another similarly named thing, which they announced in May, uh, which was, again, some form of uh, podcast um, grant, uh, I think they called it. Uh, this time, uh, they have given Africa Podfest some money to promote 
um, uh, podcasting in the region. Uh, so Africa Podfest are administering it. And uh, that money is going out to 13 different podcasts. The amount of money is 100,000 uh, US dollars, uh, which is quite a lot, although split between 13 podcasts is uh, a little bit less. But, um, you know, uh, again, I think Spotify does a lot to promote individual creators. Now, the question, of course, is how much of those uh, shows are going to become exclusives onto Spotify or whether there's any, you know, uh, regulations around, you know, you must start uh, hosting with Anchor or with Megaphone or whatever that might be. Um, But uh, Spotify does do, you know, a lot of good work like this. So good to see them helping emerging creators, but also good to see them, you know, doing some really big shows as well. Kate's 63 is a brand new show on Spotify, which uh, has launched with two Emmy Award winning actors. Well, one Emmy Award winning actor, Julianne Moore, and one Golden Globe winning actor, Oscar Isaac. No idea. Anyway, um, it's a um, very big budget thing. It's being made by Gimlet Studios and by the production companies owned by uh, Julianne Moore and Oscar Isaac. Uh, And that's also uh, new as well. So they're clearly, you know, pushing their weight in terms of uh, creators, both big names and also uh, emerging ones too. Now, 5.5 million, James. What's the answer? (laughs) Well, uh, the answer might be the amount of podcasts on Spotify, because according to an app notification, although interestingly, not according to their quarterly figures, but according to uh, an app notification, Spotify now indexes 5.5 million podcasts, um, uh, which is an awful lot. Obviously, quite a lot of those are anchor and are, you know, one shows that is somebody testing a microphone. But nevertheless, 5.5 million podcasts is nice. Um, and uh, Joe Rogan appears not to be number one again. Uh, he has for the last um, three or four days been knocked down to number two because of a podcast called Distractable. Uh, which has been number one uh, for a number of uh, days. Uh, Rogan is now back at number one, but Joe Rogan isn't uh, number one very often these days, which I find interesting. He's just warming up for his YouTube account. (laughs) That'll be what it is. Uh, Should we talk awards? Yes, we're not entering any. That's that's the end of that section then. No, Uh, (laughs) let's... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know, we might do. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, Let's do awards then. Um, It's the (laughs) Asia Podcast Festival Awards. Uh, The entries are open now. Uh, Submission deadline is November the 13th. Um, It's just 15... Oh, come on, please. What's SGD? Singaporean dollars. It's just uh, it's just it's just fifteen Singaporean dollars, which is ten uh, US dollars, or, or if you prefer it that way, uh, ten pounds, Sam, uh, to oh. enter. I've, I've, I've got that in a third time now. Um, so they're going on in Asia. The Webby Awards are open for entries. Uh, did I mention that I've got two of those? Uh, anyway, it's the twenty seventh <laughs> annual Webby Awards. They have five new categories for podcasting this year. The early entry deadline is uh, today, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening. Friday, October the 28th um, and they've got a bunch of new podcasts and a bunch of new categories as well the publisher podcast awards 2023 are open for entry your submission deadline for that is december the 9th although you have to be a a big publisher in order to enter those and uh, the australian podcast awards ceremony is next month in sydney the new zealand podcast awards have just closed too but you want to talk sport don't you liverpool fc supporter 
Yes, I do. We won 3-0 against Ajax last night. No, no, that's not what I want to talk about. <laughs> I want to talk about the uh, Sports Podcast Awards 2023, which is now open uh, for entries. They've got 23 categories and it closes in mid-November. But I thought I'd reach out to the organiser, Dylan Pugh, who's the managing director of the Sports Podcast Group, to find out more about the awards, why they've done them. And he's also revealed about a festival that they're going to be announcing. That sounds very exciting sighting in February. And he has a big revelation given his previous role at Spotify as to why he thinks exclusives don't work. Yeah, so this is the second year for the Sports Podcast Awards. It was a brand new initiative last year that we started. You know, we're very happy with how the first year went. So, you know, we were testing the waters a little bit. You know, there's lots of podcast awards out there in the world, but I don't think there's a awards program specifically for one genre. So, I'd say we were probably the first to do something like this, but it was a big success and yeah, we're, we're back bigger and better. Well, the award entry now is open, but when will the closing date be? So the closing date is end of November. So it's open for, you know, a month and a half or so. So there's plenty of time for people to get their entries in. So we tweaked the entry process slightly from last year based on people's feedback. We experimented a bit in the first year. We wanted to do things a little bit differently, but, you know, we've optimised the process. But by and large, it's not going to be too different. It's quite easy for anybody to enter. You know, we want to encourage podcasts of all shapes and sizes from the biggest shows out there to the smallest independents to enter. So, yeah, that's the goal that we're aiming for. Yeah, you've got 23 categories this year, I can see. And last year's winner was surprising. Now, I've never heard of it myself, although I teach martial arts. Uh, Morning Combat. Yeah, I I wasn't aware of it myself before they entered, but in getting to know those guys through the process, it's a huge show in America. You know, it's owned by CBS and Showtime. It's two guys who host the podcast. They're very well-known personalities in the US in the MMA and combat sports world. And yeah, they're very worthy winners. And uh, just everything they did, they were humble. And obviously, they were a very loyal following. And they did a live show in Las Vegas to celebrate the success as well. So uh, it's good that they celebrated in style. Now, is this a physical award ceremony, a virtual award ceremony, or a hybrid? What's the format? So the first year was virtual. You know, the pandemic played a little part in that because when we were planning everything, it was still some level of uncertainty. But also, given the fact that this is a global awards program, it would be pretty tough to do a physical in-person event. You know, it's not like other awards programs that I've been involved with where the majority of the people entering are corporates, where people will fly places and buy tables for large sums of money. You know, a lot of our addressable audience for this are independents that have their own day jobs and they're doing this as a passion point themselves. So it's unrealistic to think that people are going to fly around the world to go to an in-person event at this stage. You know, that certainly is the goal. Perhaps uh, we will move to some kind of hybrid uh, arrangement whereby we have an in-person element, likely either in London or somewhere in the US, and then it would be live streamed for those not in that location. So TBC, but I think we'll remain virtual for now. Okay. And who are the judges for these awards? So there's two stages to the judging process. The first stage is the industry selects jury. So this is essentially the shortlisting phase. So we have a panel of people that work in the industry. So we've got people that work for, you know, the usuals, the Spotify's, ACAS, Audio Booms, Amazons, Apple, iHeart, ESPN, etc. So all of these people would have a category each. So there'd be three people for each category. They would listen to all of the entries in that particular category. Then collectively, they would decide a shortlist of eight. And then we would make those eight shortlists for each category public. 
And then it's down to the public to vote. So it's a public vote to see who wins each category from then on. Where would the public go? What's the website going to be? It, it's the sportspodcastawards.com is the website. So okay. yes, the voting system is nice and simple. You know, people can vote on every single category if they want to. They can listen to every single entry and make a, an informed decision on who is the deserved winner. Or, you know, if you're just a listener of a particular podcast and you love that podcast, you can just hop onto our website and vote for that particular show and only that. So closing entries mid-November, when are you going to announce the winners then? So the shortlist will be announced first in February. So that's when we'll be announcing the shortlist. And that's a major milestone for us. You know, it's not just about the winners. You know, last year we had so many podcasts who made the shortlist. They didn't win. But, you know, the fact that they made the shortlist in amongst some really well-known podcasts from well-known publishers and networks around the world with well-known celebrities and sports personalities who are hosting those podcasts. You know, so for many people, getting on the shortlist was a major win for them because of the visibility it gave them and, you know, the discoverability it brought to them, which is a massive yeah. factor for us. So that's the major milestone for us in February. And then at the moment, we're planning end of March to have the virtual ceremony, which is when the winners will be announced. Now, have you got any other plans in the pipeline? Yes, of course. So, you know, the awards were the first step for us, you know, testing the waters a little bit to see what kind of interest there was with the sports podcast community. And, you know, we were overwhelmed with the amount of people who engaged in the voting process last year. We were over 20,000 people worldwide got involved. So it just goes to show that there is a, a very vibrant and engaged community of sports podcast fans, whether it's listeners or creators that's out there. So. Obviously, the awards are the first bit. The next stage for us, we've launched a new newsletter called The Scout. So The Scout is this underground character who's got his ear to the ground, who helps to identify new, undiscovered podcasting talent in the sports space. That's at least the analogy we're going for anyway. So we're launching the newsletter this week. We've also got a brand new website, which we launched last week as well, which not only has the award side of things, but also has more of a news and curation from a discoverability perspective. So there's a lot more of a content-driven focus on the website. So that's that side. And then also something we haven't announced yet publicly, but we are going to be launching the first ever sports podcast festival uh, in February in London next year. So we'll be announcing that in the next week or so, which we are very excited about. We have some major well-known, mainly UK-based sports podcasts, but some people like the morning combat guys are flying over from the US to perform. But yeah, we're going to have some, you know, really big name podcast playing over a week period in London. So very excited about that. And uh, we'll release more details on that in the next week or so. Oh, I look forward to coming to that. That'll be great. Now, Dylan, before you did all of this wonderful events and organising of awards, it says here you were the former head of podcast monetization for Spotify at the Emir level. That sounds fairly chunky role that you had there. Yeah, it's an interesting time. You know, as you can imagine, Spotify's growth in terms of podcasting was stratospheric during those years. So it was a fun journey to be a part of. I guess the job I had perhaps was a little bit early for, you know, what it actually was. For me, it was more setting up all of the markets outside of the US ready for monetization once the content was, I guess, acquired or licensed at the Spotify level. So you know, this was before the Joe Rogans and the Fozcast and the Rugby Pods and all those shows that they brought as owned and operated podcasts. So it was in anticipation of those shows coming on board, was setting up the back end processes ready to monetize 
And there was a new ad serving technology called streaming ad insertion, which I was a heavy part of, you know, bringing in, into play and getting all of the teams ready to adopt once we had the inventory. Were you also involved in any of the subscription models that they had? Not necessarily. My main remit was on the free tier. So it was mainly on the monetization side. You know, before podcasts were a thing at Spotify, it was mainly on the, well, music was the only thing really that we were kind of monetizing around. But as soon as podcasts became a major focus and a lot of the resources were being pooled towards that, it was a really fun journey. But yeah, not really involved in the subscription side, but... You know, from the podcast perspective, the unique proposition there is that if you were placing an ad in a podcast on Spotify, it gets exposed to both premium subscribers and the free users. So that's a major sell for any, you know, brands wanting to advertise on Spotify. You know, not that I'm making a job of selling them anymore, <laughs> but, you know, it's it was an interesting time to be part of that team. Yeah, you also got a lot of data there as well to give back to content creators. So we've talked about it on Podland, how Spotify's walled garden, although, you know, most people would like them to be a bit more open, actually gives Spotify a competitive advantage in the ability to support their content creators. Absolutely. The amount of first party data they have as a company is phenomenal. And actually, they've got the systems in place to utilize that in really usable forms. You know, just on the podcast monetization point of view, the fact that all the users are logged in and you know you've got that first party data on so many users allows you to do so much more both from an attribution from a targeting from a tracking all sorts of things so yeah you know i'm perhaps a little bit biased but i don't know there's a fair amount of negativity around what they are doing in the industry at some times but perhaps i'm a bit brainwashed and biased but i'm a big believer in what they're doing and i think they'll, they'll do very well in the future in the podcast space last question really because you might have sort of the inside track a lot of the exclusive podcasts that you know came to spotify appear to be going away again some of the podcast and gimlet podcasters were saying that you know they weren't promoted properly the wall garden didn't allow them to reach the larger audience i think the obama said something similar that they wanted to be on a bigger platform in terms of reach do you think exclusives work i mean not just for spotify but for anyone really no is the answer if i'm honest i don't think exclusives are good for the podcast space in the long term i think it should remain an open ecosystem i understand what Spotify are doing because they're trying to attract new audiences to the platform. And I get that. And my hunch is that the exclusive side is probably a short-term play for them. You know, I don't think it's in their interest for things to be exclusive on, on the platform, but, you know, even some of their recent, I guess you could call them acquisition, are that, that they're not that exclusive. You know, take the rugby pod, for example, was one that they, you know, was over a year ago now that they did that deal. But that has remained open across all platforms, even though it's owned and operated by Spotify. It's not exclusive to Spotify as a platform. So I'd say there's going to be more of those to come, but perhaps there still will be some element of exclusivity in the short term whilst they're building up their market share. But as soon as Spotify get, you know, 40%, 50% market share, then I guess there's no need for that exclusivity because you've got enough scale across the board. But, you know, back in the, when the Obamas, the Joe Rogan, those deals were made, I would have hazarded a guess that Spotify's market share being around 20% of all podcast listens, you know, needed to get that up and bringing those shows exclusive was a means of getting that. 
Yeah, I mean, this week alone, they've just signed up Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Parenting Hell, which is, I think, number three or number four in Spotify yeah. and Apple charts. You know, it's my daughter's favourite. Again, the comments on Twitter about the announcement were overwhelmingly negative about them going exclusive. But you can understand, I get the, going back to what you said, you know, Dylan, you know, they've got to bring subscribers to the platform. That's what they generate their revenue from. And if bringing shows that are popular brings the audience and that's what they will continue to do. Yeah, I know. They're still fairly early in their journey as a podcast listening platform. I'd say it's probably about four years now since podcasts were brought onto the platform. You know, Apple as the dominant platform has been around for 20 plus years, I would have thought. So they're still fairly early in the journey and it'll take a while for people's behaviours and habits to change to using Spotify as the go-to default platform for listening to their podcasts. You know, people always have their own views on the user interface and the experience and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if they can migrate a certain proportion of the parents in hell audience away from other platforms on Spotify, then it's worth the investment. Okay. Well, look, Dylan, thank you so much. Can you remind everyone again about the Sports Podcast Awards that you're doing and where they can go? Yep. So if you head to sportspodcastawards.com, there's 23 categories and the categories are for it's quite simple, really. Things like the best soccer podcast, best rugby podcast, best golf, cricket, tennis, basketball, etc. It's a global initiative. We want to encourage all podcasts of all shapes and sizes to enter, whether you know, you're know you part of the BBC or Sky Sports or The Athletic or ESPN, or whether you're just a bedroom podcaster with a podcast for your local football team. We want everybody to enter and there's benefits in there for everybody. So yeah, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dylan Pugh from the Sports Podcast Awards. Yes, that was a, that was an interesting interview, and I think uh, particularly interesting to hear that uh, he reckons that uh, exclusives don't work. Uh, a man who's worked mm. for Spotify. Wonder why that might be. Well, they'll keep knocking the door. I mean, Rob Beckett and uh, Widdicombe are taking the money for their exclusives, so at least it seems that they don't think the same as Dylan Pugh. But uh, yes, you know when I hear the name. Pew, I just wanted to sing Camberwick Green, Pew Pew, Barnaby Grew, Cuthbert, Dibble and Grub. Yes, indeed. I might have to might have to find a little clip from YouTube. Go on, here we go. Pew, Pew, Barney McGrew, Cuthbert, Dibble, Grub. There we are. Uh, whenever I hear Josh Widdicombe, I always think of Anne Widdicombe, uh, and I wonder where oh, no. they're related. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to podcast industrial complex news. Yes. Uh, in Sounds Profitable, Brian's done a really good report on uh, the transparency issues that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that Ashley Carmen uh, revealed about iHeartMedia uh, basically buying plays in mobile games. And he's done a really in-depth analysis. Uh, it says... In summary, it's clear that we are reaching a breaking point of confidence in downloads. Did you read the report as well, James? Yeah, he's, he's, he's basically saying, you know, it really is time for the podcast industry to focus on listens and on listen metrics rather than on downloads uh, metrics. And uh, I would certainly agree with him if we can manage to do that. Uh, Sounds Profitable will be working on uh, some of that uh, work. Interestingly... The big uh, ranker that has measured 
Listens, uh, Edison's podcast metrics tool, has announced today that they are going to add download numbers into that tool. Not quite sure how that's going to work. And I did ask, how's that going to work then? And they say, well, we're not talking about that at the moment. Uh, so, <laughs> so who knows how that's going to work? Um, but uh, yeah, I think Listens is uh, the future. And I think Downloads is um, a bit of a confusing metric that, frankly, we shouldn't necessarily be using uh, anymore. So I would completely agree with uh, Brian there. Uh, one of the other bits of uh, data that um, I've been looking at, or rather bits of news that I've been looking at, is um, Rover, which is a popular podcast app in New Zealand from MediaWorks. Now, I discovered that uh, they've been sending details about their listeners uh, with every download to any podcast publisher including the geolocation, including a unique listener identifier. Uh, more details of that in today's pod news. Uh, and again, it's a download story. Uh, and again, uh, in this particular case, it's Rover sending information about audiences to the place that they're getting that download from, which is a real privacy concern. They've um, uh, listened, thankfully, uh, to us, and they're going to make urgent changes to their app. But... Um, you know, all of this could be avoided, actually, if we did two things. If we started looking at listens and we got some listen data back from the podcast apps. And also, actually, if we allowed our podcast apps and the podcast platforms to cache the audio, because um, that, that would be quite uh, that'd be quite good for most of us. Um, so um, anyway, we'll uh, see quite what happens there. But uh, yeah, I think that's a, it was a great piece from uh, Brian taking a look at uh, all of the shenanigans going on so are we suggesting that apple should reverse the uh, bug that they brought out in the past and uh, stop having downloads because that was what 30 percent of downloads that uh, we realized the numbers dropped for most people yeah, so what we basically learnt from that data is that the numbers went down by about 27, 28%, so 30%-ish um, of all downloads from Apple Podcasts, and nobody noticed that the auto-downloads weren't actually working. Um, so it t tends to really show that, yes, about 30% of all downloads aren't being listened to from Apple, which um, makes it about sort of 10, 11% if you look at the total market. And of course, what that means is if you're looking at the data between Apple and Spotify, for example, then Apple's numbers are um, always going to be a little bit higher than Spotify's because Spotify doesn't have that auto download. You can't automatically download shows without really working hard. And in fact, I think you can still only auto automatically download um, uh, individual episodes rather than shows. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think getting rid of automatic downloads would be a good start. And I think just getting some data from the podcast apps would be a good start. And perhaps that's where John Spurlock's podcast events, um, new namespace stuff might actually help us there. That and the ULID uh, information that um, Dave Jones and Dan from Fireside, Dan Benjamin, uh, have been working on, you know, that will certainly help, I think, uh, in there as well. But I think, you know, total downloads is, is probably as old fashioned these days as, you know, page impressions or hits. Uh, certainly hits. Um, you and I, Sam, would have been quoting hits a long, long time ago. Oh, um, yes. And, and nobody quotes those anymore. And I think that that's probably where the the download is. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, downloads has to be historical based on the fact that b- bandwidth was so limited that downloading was what the the apps did, really. And um, yeah. yeah, now now that bandwidth is pretty uh, universally big, I, I'd say yeah. that not in all countries, of course, but uh, in most Western countries, it's certainly. Yeah, in most Western um, countries. But of course, m- many of us now no longer have to pay for data um, by the megabyte or, you know, have to worry about how long it'll it'll download as well, um, e- even in, um, you know, sub-Saharan Africa and other places. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the reason why the automatic download came to be in the first place was Adam Curry. Adam Curry came up with the bright idea of basically keeping something in your house, your server in your house, busy downloading stuff, because Adam Curry realized um, in a blog post that he has deleted, which is... uh, very frustrating. But Adam Curry realised um, a long time ago and wrote up a really erudite blog post, which led to the invention of podcasting, that basically said, you know, we've got um, these connections into our homes that we could be using 24 hours a day, and we really aren't. Uh, and we could be, you know, setting something up to automa- automatically download entertainment for us and other things. And that's where podcasting came from. So, um, yeah, I find the whole thing uh, fascinating. Well, let's see. If, it, if the market will change, I think it'll be a slow change, but let's see if it will change. Now, uh, Sounds Profitable seems to be on a bit of a roll this week. They also have done a deep dive of Triton Digital's new advertising platform called Tap. Tell me more, James. Yeah, so th- this is something that Sounds Profitable do um, quite often now. And in fact, they've done two deep dives. They've both done one with Triton Digital around their advertising platform and one with a company called Frequency, which is an ad management tool. And uh, what they basically do is uh, they sit down with uh, Brian Barletta, uh, these people, and they show Brian through this particular product. And Brian asks the questions that anybody would ask when you're having a look through a product like that. Um, And at the end of the day, it's a great uh, peek into how these products actually work. It's a bit like, you you know, your first pitch of a company's uh, technology. So worthwhile having a peek at that. There are tons of them actually on the Sounds Profitable website. Uh, You'll find them at soundsprofitable.com and just hit the deep dives link um, at the top. But certainly interesting to peek into both how advertising platforms like Frequency and Tap work. So um, worthwhile having a peek at that. And talking about those two, advertising platforms is another one um, which uh, Acast uh, has just uh, worked on. It's a first-party data targeting solution. So if you've got data on your audience, perhaps you have an app which people log into, perhaps you have other bits of data on your audience, you can actually combine that with the data that Acast has to target ads in a podcast a little bit better. Uh, Acast claims it's an industry first um, and interestingly, from my point of view, it's available in two countries, the US and Australia. I was going to ask why why we can't have it. Is it GDPR? Uh, well, GDPR, exactly right. Yes, GDPR is still a rule where you are. Um, and uh, my suspicion is that the US and Australia has rather different privacy uh, rules and that that is rather easier um, they're also, you know, I mean, Australia is a good test market for anything because, you know, we're, we're only 25 million people or, or, or thereabouts. Um, so we're a pretty good test market to have a play with. Um, although, you know, launching it in the US as well, where ACAST is, you know, relatively small, um, perhaps that's an interesting thing too. Hmm. Well, uh, moving on then. Uh, 
Let's have a little bit of tech stuff. This passed me by, actually, James. I, I did read about it on Pod News, but I hadn't seen it listed anywhere else. A group of podcast companies, RSS, Buzzsprout, Transistor, Libsyn and Acast, are working on a project to promote open standards for podcasting. The project hopes to launch its website before January uh, at PodFest. What is this group trying to achieve? I think I was at the dinner when this was ironed out. And I find it interesting that uh, some of the podcast hosts that were at that dinner uh, are listed here. RSS, Buzzsprout, Transistor, Libsyn and Acast. Buzzsprout are our sponsor um, and uh, and that some aren't. Uh, and I also find it interesting um, that uh, other people in the room aren't involved in this. But the Podcast Standards Project, uh, which is basically an open standards group for podcasting, um, is uh, coming, um, uh, so they say. My suspicion is that this is something around promoting the benefits of RSS and very much a anti-Spotify type of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it would be great to um, uh, get a little bit more uh, excitement and uh, visibility around uh, the benefits of open standards. And clearly they'll be promoting the new podcast namespace, one would assume. Um, mm. But uh, yes, but I find it interesting seeing those names on there and seeing who else was at that dinner that I probably shouldn't talk about um, who aren't involved in that. Mm. <laughs> but um, I've seen these things done before in the past with... Um when we were at Netscape talking about HTML and, and versus Microsoft, um, I suppose it's a good marketing vehicle, but we already have a fairly good um, forum for creating new standards. So I assume all they're going to be doing is talking about um, trying to raise the awareness in consumers. I, I, I can't see what else it's going to do. Well, I wonder actually whether or not, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Dave Jones um, doesn't work for the new podcast namespace or for Podcast Index. Um, that's not Dave Jones's full-time job. He, he works at some accountancy company somewhere. Uh, Adam Curry, you know, he, he, he does other things too. So actually, these sets of people with their large corporate, uh, you know, exciting uh, budgets um, promoting open standards for podcasting and uh, helping guide things through is probably a good thing as long as, you know, they, they don't end up suffocating the grassroots work that Dave, Adam and the others have been doing at, at podcastindex.social. Mm. So I think, you know, this is probably, from my point of view, this is just a different way in. You're more likely if you are Apple or you are Samsung or you are, you know, Google, you're more likely to listen to the likes of Libsyn or Acast or Transistor than you are likely to listen to, you know, um, uh, a, a weird, you know, coda from Stockholm. So I think um, there's probably no harm uh, in uh, doing this. And um, yeah, and I, 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 I wish them the best for um, this uh, new project of theirs, which um, uh, they're hoping to launch before January's PodFest, which presumably means that that's when the real announcement is likely to happen. Never knew Dave Jones was a weird programmer from Sweden. But anyway, there's news. No, no, I was talking about somebody else there. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Jones is most certainly not from Sweden. <laughs> now, uh, moving on, let's talk about OP3, the Open pro Podcast a Prefix Project. Yeah, I'll just stick with OP3. It's so much easier. Um, OP3 <laughs> was 
put forward by uh, John Spurlock. Um, and this week he's announced that uh, the OP3 returns country, continent and region time zones. Um, so he's developing this much further. I know you're doing a lot of work um, with John, or at least your tweets intend to show that you're doing a lot of work. What's going on with the OP3 this week, James? Yeah, so um, uh, so if you don't know what the OP3 project is, it's a uh, open uh, method of doing uh, analytics on podcast uh, stats, on podcast uh, downloads, uh, actually at the moment on podcast requests, if we're going to be strictly accurate. Um, and uh, anyone can use this service. It's free. And on the other side of it, anyone can dive into the data and pull out information. So in this particular case, um, what what um, John has realized is he has access to a lot of information from Cloudflare, which is the service that he uses um, to uh, do this uh, particular analytics tool. And he has information, for example, the edge co-location. So where did the request for a podcast go to? Uh, the continent of where that person was who asked for the podcast, the country, their time zone, and various other things in their Metro code. If you um, uh, if you happen to be in a country which has one of those as well, so you can really get a lot of information in terms of the uh, download or the request for that podcast without um, uh, giving anybody any privacy concerns. So I can see, for example, now in OP3 all of my downloads, and I can see that you know somebody uh, at seven fifty this morning uh, GMT downloaded um, a version of the Pod News podcast from the 1st of September. They were using Overcast. Um, they were in New York. Um, we know what time zone that is, of course. We know that that's in uh, the US, in, in the state of New York. Uh, we know that that's in North America in terms of a content. Um, we know even that they were in Metro Code 526, which is a Metro Code which uh, points to where that particular person was. And that's as much as we know. So we don't know more detail than that, but we do know, obviously, much more detail than you can get from just a standard log file. So that's going to be really interesting when you start building analytics tools to show, you know, what country or what city your listeners are from. And perhaps uh, this might be one of the reasons why we might want to end up doing that for this very podcast as well, because... Um, you know, all, all of a sudden we can get a ton more information uh, out of some of the data here. John's doing a grand job with the OP3. Now, um, something you wrote about was called Podcast Saver. It's a website that lets you easily download your favourite podcast. So I've just gone on there to look at Podland News and it just basically allows you to download any episode. Yeah. Why would you want to do this, James? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Well, some people do want to download their favourite podcasts and make it really easy and, and keep the MP3s because the MP3s sometimes go away. And, you know, some people like collecting things. So you've got that. Um, but really... Under the hood, this is actually a test tool for individual search engines. So there's a search engine called Meli Search or Maili Search, and there's a search engine called Postgres FTS, and there are various other search engines as well. And this is a piece of work with um, the Podcast Index, where they've grabbed the Podcast Index uh, big dump, and they are using that to um, power this particular service, but they're also testing what 
what search engines work best for them. Um, so I find that quite interesting to see, you know, what what is working better, what isn't working better. And they just point out that, you know, the podcast index, it's a relatively small data set to try things out on. Um, it's got two million podcasts in there. You know, it's doing a fair amount of searches and blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, I thought that that was interesting because it's basically two different things. It's a product which is out there to enable you to download podcasts. Yes, great. But it's also actually um, doing a bunch of um, interesting work around testing individual search engines. So um, quite a clever little project, I thought. Hmm. Now, Podverse, friend of the show, um, Mitch, uh, has announced you can now uh, export all of your user data. Uh, and it's also partially available in 14 languages. So thank you, Mitch, for doing that. Yes, exporting user data is always a very good thing. Um, there's no standard way of doing that. So it's just um, a lump of uh, a lump of data. Um, but uh, maybe at some point in the future, there'll be a standard way of exporting all of your user data. And no, OPML is not the answer. Now, uh, time for Boostergram Corner. And actually, we start with a 10,000 sat boost from Mitch himself, um, which is uh, very nice. Mitch, of course, that runs Podverse. And uh, he has sent uh, send Bitcoin boosts to your favorite podcasters with Podverse and Alby. Hashtag FOSS. Uh, What's all this about then, uh, Sam? Well, last Friday night, I was listening to Dave and Adam on live using Lit, the live uh, item tag. And of course, I was using Podverse. And I wanted to send uh, 10,000 sats to Dave and Adam because they were talking some really good stuff and it didn't work. And it turns out Uh that Olby have a 30-day token. So if you don't reset your account when you go in, um, then the token link, the authorization from Olby to Podverse drops Uh off. And so I sent an error report to Mitch um, that evening and uh, thankfully he fixed it the next day um, and it's all hunky-dory now. So yeah, so thanks Mitch. Excellent. Oh, well, that's uh, good to hear. Yes, it's uh, Podverse on the web is a really good um, podcast uh, app now. And it's, uh, you know, it's getting better and better every single week and uh, completely open source as well, which is um, a very good thing, too. So, uh, yes, well worth a peek. Podverse.fm is the website address. Podverse.fm. Thank you also to uh, Justin uh, from the Optimal Living Daily Podcast Network, who sent seven. 177 sats uh, for my uh, impersonation of Todd Cochran last week. Get your own.com. And of course, every time I read out his boost, sending me uh, some sats for doing a, an impersonation of Todd, then I have to also then do another impersonation of Todd. It's kind of like an infinite loop. Um, uh, I must say, I, I spent some time with um, Todd Cochran last week uh, in the Middle East, and uh, I, I kind of saw a, a bit of a different side of, uh, of Todd. I, I, I've seen a very, you know, sort of grumpy side uh, of, of Todd in the past, but actually so, so helpful to so many different podcasters who were there. Um, 
at this event. He was really, really positive and helpful around podcasting. He was on stage. He got a number of rounds of applause from the audience because he was talking about the benefits of podcasting being open, the benefits of you being able to say what you want in a podcast, uh, which to the Middle East is a is a very exciting thing. And uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure to spend a number of days with, uh, with uh, Todd uh, last week. So it was good to end up seeing him. Still doesn't listen to this show, though. Ah, well, uh, you know, there you go. We could try and convince him one day. Maybe he'll send us a boost. Todd, if you're listening, send us a boost. Yes, exactly. Todd, if you're listening, send us a boost. Talking about people who are listening and send us a boost, Adam Curry. Um, Interestingly, using Fountain. Ah, there you go. 25,000 sats from Adam. And uh, he says, enjoyable episode, gents, and then sends another 25,000 sats thing uh, with um, uh, details about your edit off last week. He said that the editing discussion neglected pre-production. This is an excellent point, Adam. Yes. He says, I spend five hours before each show prepping up to 50 clips and 20 news articles. I don't need to edit because I know exactly what I want to say and do before we hit record. Well, of course, Adam comes from a broadcast radio background, uh, and Adam is very used to pressing all of the buttons and doing a live show. Uh, That's not necessarily something uh, that all of us have in our uh, back history. But uh, yeah, he makes a really good point that actually pre-production is really important. Sam does all of the pre-production for this show. All I do is cut and paste your your stories, James. So let's let's be honest, it isn't a hard one. (laughs) It's not that it's not that difficult, people, honestly. Anyone want a job? Just just email James, you know, you know, that's not hard. No, look, I agree with Adam. Uh, Pre-production is part of it. And we do spend a lot of time putting together this show in pre-production, but not everybody does. And that was what we were trying to get across was that a lot of people do just go into podcasting without that thought process. And if they do do that, that there are tools like Descript out there that can be used to edit in post-production. And it was just a bit of fun with Neil and me just thinking, Mm. hey, let's see what we would do with the same interview. I've never done that with anyone before, taking the same piece of content and seeing how differently that they edit it to me. And, uh, you know, Neil was much more harsher than I was. And, um, yeah, there was a 10-minute difference between the two edits of the same interview. Yeah. Yeah, which was really interesting. And I should say, by the way, Descript, uh, the new version of Descript, if you have that, Descript Storyboard works so, so, so much faster uh, on this Mac. Uh, So much faster. Whatever it is that they've done under the hood, it it is so welcome. So uh, thank you to the folk at at, uh, Descript for making their app actually, you know, work in a performant way. So that's a, a very good thing. As the rain comes down in another Queensland uh, tropical rainstorm outside, we've got a little uh, quick bits of, of other news. Uh, it's No Agendas birthday this week. Uh, they published their first episode on October the 26th, 2007. They're currently on episode 1497, hosted by John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry, of course. Um, you should have a listen and uh, boost that show and uh, very happy birthday to them. Indeed. Now, not that you'll miss it, but Facebook is stopping supporting instant articles, which was supposed to be their proprietary replacement for RSS. Sorry, James, can you remind me, what is Facebook? (laughs) 
Oh, I believe it's something that the old people use. Um, oh. But they, yes, they ended, they ended up doing something called Instant Articles, which was some complicated XML format thing that they built. And uh, yes, and they're not no longer supporting it anymore. Who'd have thought it? Proprietary things don't work very well. And uh, RSS works fantastically. Uh, there's a thing. Um, our friends at Spooler have launched something which is interesting. Spooler Affiliate Cloud, which is a way of, um, if you syndicate audio, it's a way of um, basically syndicating that audio and allowing all of your clients uh, to produce stuff with your audio. So the first client is Fox News Radio. So if you're an affiliate of Fox News Radio, then you automatically get all of the bits of uh, audio directly into a tool where you can produce breaking news shows. And of course, you can produce that in terms of a podcast, but you can also produce that in terms of um, uh, over-the-air stuff as well. So I thought a very clever use of the Spooler platform. So the Spooler Affiliate Cloud, which went live uh, last week. Moving on then, uh, Ivux out of Spain has launched a new ad marketplace called Ad Voices, uh, the first marketplace in the Spanish language. It allows advertisers access to podcasts and video podcasts. Uh, so they get a good fit for your target audience. So congratulations to them. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting seeing uh, from Catalonia, not necessarily from Spain, but it's interesting seeing uh, Ivux uh, doing this and uh, really pushing forward the Spanish language podcast uh, marketplace. So uh, that's very smart. Uh, Poditize is raising a million dollars in funding. They're a monetization platform, and they've already raised um, nearly two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Or if you like it better that way, uh, Sam, two hundred thousand pounds. I'm going to stop doing this uh, in uh, earlier on in this year. But um, they're now uh, pushing for a uh, million dollars in funding. They say they've already got one point two million dollars worth of revenue. Although we don't actually know for what uh, time period that was. Uh, but, uh, you know, who knows? Um, but interesting seeing them uh, jumping in and looking for funding there. And there's a study by a company called New Voodoo, who claim that 38% of podcast listeners have bought something they heard advertised in a podcast, which is mm. quite a wonderful thing. Uh, how Sprout, how very they good, measured that? How, How they have they measured that? that? Yes, there's a question. Uh, New Voodoo do uh, an awful lot of uh, decent research in the US for radio companies. So one would presume that they've done that well. But uh, yes, but I don't know is the is the quick answer uh, there. Uh, what's happened for you uh, this week in, in uh, Podland then, Sam? Well, I actually uh, had a really interesting chat with John Spurlock about the podcast events um hmm. which is a new extension tag that is being talked about so john and i got on the phone together to talk about it we we have a history going back about activity pub and we looked at how that might fit into podcast events and yeah so watch this space that's what i would say um and the lovely people at Olby have also added me to their presentation, hopefully, that's going to be going on at Podcast Movement. So I'll be presenting something to do with value for value out there. Oh, fancy. Fancy. Well, that'll be very exciting. And James, what's happened for you this week in Podland? I've been trying to get over jet lag, which is, uh, you know, uh, every, my every two or three week thing is trying to get over jet lag, seemingly. Uh, but there we go. But uh, no, apart from that, just been um, hard at work and, and particularly looking at this uh, at, at this uh, podcast app um, privacy uh, story, which um, I seem to have spent uh, quite a long time on making sure that I've um, crossed the 
I's and dotted the T's. No, you don't do that, do you? You do it the other way around. You cross the T's and you dot the I's. That's right. That's what I mean to say. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's been fun. And that's it for this week. That's Podland for this week. If you like this episode of Podland, please tell others to follow the show. We'll be back next week for episode 100. And things may sound a little bit different, mightn't they, Sam, next week? Well, don't miss out. That's all I will say. You can also give us feedback using email at comments at podland.news or a boostergram. And if your podcast app doesn't support boosts, then grab a new app from podnews.net forward slash new podcast apps. Yes, I added the email address there just so you can mention it one more time. Um, because, you know, who knows? It might be the last time if we blow this podcast up next week and we do Indeed. something else. Who knows? If you want daily news, you should get Pod News Daily. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app. Just search for Pod News Daily. And our music is from Studio Dragonfly and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at Buzzsprout. And thank you so much for your support over the last few months to Squadcast. And keep listening.